0: John chapter number nine and I want to expound and study just three words tonight and I would encourage you to write these three words from our Lord Jesus Christ write them down and it is my desire and my goal as a preacher tonight to expound these words in a way that we will remember them from the words of Christ in John chapter number nine these words not only have changed my life they drive me and motivate me each and every day And I'm not here tonight just to do a little Bible study, though we're going to do a Bible study and we're going to learn some things. I'm here tonight in the midweek service to be like that electrical pole that holds up the power line that comes from the source to the destination. I'm just in the middle with the word of God trying to keep it running right here in the middle of the week to challenge, stir, convict, and to stir us up to go on and do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. These three words are the alarm clock of my life. It's what drives me each and every day. They bother me, if you will. They bother me. They stir me up in a good way. And they keep me going. They are the fuel in my tank. And they are the wind in my back. Every marriage, every parent, every grandparent, married, single, doesn't matter. Each and every Christian in this room today or watching online today, you need these three words to lead and guide you each and every day John chapter number nine and let's just stand together and stretch our legs and respect the reading of God's Word we'll read just a few verses John chapter 9 beginning in verse number one the Bible said and as Jesus passed by he saw a man which was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him saying master who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. He's speaking of the blindness in terms of the blindness there. But here it is, don't miss it. That the works of God should be made manifest in him. Verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken... He spat on the ground and made of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. A blind man from birth that had never seen the light of day came seeing. Let's look what Jesus says about these three words found in verse number four tonight. Father, bless us. Lord, I pray that you'd hide us behind the cross and I pray that you'd speak to us, stir us up, challenge us. Help us, Lord, not to sit like a knot on a log, but to lean into the truths of your word. I pray that they would not remember a Joseph Brown or even my name or even anything that has happened here tonight other than the truths of the music, the encouragement of the fellowship, and most importantly, Lord, the conviction and the challenge, the stirring of the preaching, the the food, the meat of God's word tonight, I pray that it would go on with us Uh, Throughout our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Notice verse number four as you're seated in John chapter number nine. It is Jesus that says in this context, an entire chapter dedicated to this blind man that maybe supposedly one would say was randomly sitting by some random roadside. Not so, you'll see. When Jesus said in verse number four, I must Work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So, the first word that I'd like for you to write down is a simple little word, and it's found at the beginning of verse number four, and it is the word I. See, many people believe far too often in a wrong psychological way that God created us. We are fearfully, wonderfully made, and he did. But he created us and then he is at each season or phase of our life, he is out there trying to find or finding and designing something for us to do. Uh, Maybe if you're young, somebody for us to marry or a a job to do or if you've been saved for a long time and you're a Christian, he's out there trying to find people for you to impact and a ministry for you to have and kind of a little corner for you to serve in or something for you to do. And he's trying to uh, maybe put it all together for you. So as a grandparent, You can be a help to your grandchildren or your married children. And far too often we think God's out there and he's getting a will for his will for us to do. And so we're kind of waiting on God or seeking God to find what he's out there doing for us. But the only problem is that's not biblical. And if we do not get this truth down with what Jesus was teaching in this word, I, and what he was teaching in context and what he taught all throughout his life here on earth and the principle throughout the entire scripture from Genesis, you can follow the thread all the way through revelation. If we don't see it the way that God created it, it'll mess us up in our motivation for serving God. Well, then what is it? Here's what it is. God clearly is teaching here and throughout the scriptures that the job came first. The need came first. God had a job for someone to do and he went and created that specific someone for that specific job. That's the context of scripture. In other words, the only reason that I was created was because there was something that already needed to be done. Now, already tonight we're seeing that we cannot escape the responsibility because I could have you each and every one of you say your name out loud. And in, as you say your name, we have to accept, and it's an exciting thing when we accept it, the responsibility that God created that person for a job that was already in the future. Uh, let's look at it. Let, let, let's see in the scriptures uh, what, what we're talking about even here in context, but let's back up to Genesis and realize that God had a job. Uh, he needed glory. Uh, fellowship. Uh, He desired that. He wanted that. That was God's plan. And so he created Adam for the job. And then God said, and by the way, we could do this for an hour or two or three hours and just keep going, but I'll just give you a moment or two. God said, it is good. 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 It is not good. And so God created Eve. Why? Because of Adam. Now that's just Bible. Do we believe the Bible or not? Eve was created because Adam existed. So, sorry, men, you're a job. <laughs> and, and we needed, we were in desperately need of somebody to be a, what does the Bible call? A help meet. And so now in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God says, because of the deception to Eve and the sin of Adam and Eve, Eve walks past the garden of God's blessing to pick the fruit of her own destruction. Adam chooses a half-eaten piece of an apple or fruit over God's plan. We didn't leave the choice up to God. And so now Cain and Abel, the devil enters into Cain because the devil's trying to see who the seed of the woman was. And Cain kills Abel. And so what does God do? God raises up who? Who was the third son? Seth. Do you know why Seth was raised up? to carry on the lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ. And we could just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going, seeing that the job came first and that was the only reason we were created. Matter of fact, at the Christmas time, and I'm sorry I didn't tell about our Christmas production, but at Christmas time we quote and read and hear about a verse that says, this holy thing which shall be born of me, speaking of Mary and, and, and Jesus. Have you ever wondered why the Bible uses the word thing I mean, this is the son of God. This is God himself. And yet it uses the word thing. Why a thing? I mean, it's, it's a person. What are you talking about? we we'll follow very carefully. We do not believe in the preexistence of mankind. No, no, no. God brought us into existence. I didn't ex- exist in eternity past, but Jesus Christ did. God did. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And so what was the thing? Well, Jesus said the blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't suffice. But Jesus said, but a body hath he prepared me. The thing was the body. Jesus was in pre-existence. God himself, right? He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So the cross was the need. The virgin birth, the birth of Jesus Christ, the body that was broken and spilled out was the fulfillment of the need so that he could go to the cross and shed sinless blood. Do we, do we see the, the power of that word I that right now is being placed on me and you and my children, old and young? I don't care if you think you're in the fourth quarter of life and you're just going to kind of float through and it doesn't really matter anymore because here it is. God's done out there organizing all the will. He, you know, he doesn't really have anything else for you to do. Excuse me. All throughout the scripture, God had a need and he created the person because the need already existed. Matter of fact, we come full circle back to our context. And when you read the context, when you read the text, they're saying, look, who did sin this man or his parents because he was blind from birth. And he said, look, in, in, in relation to this man being born blind, neither were, but verse three, that the works of God might be made manifest in him. This is why he was born. This is not a random road. An entire chapter of the precious gospel is dedicated to this man's testimony. And you ought to read and study the rest of the chapter. I mean, the disciples and the Pharisees get taught deep things. And the son of God, the master teacher, Jesus himself is using, if you will, this man That is on some random roadside. Are you following? Thinking about your eye, your name, your life, whoever you are, however much talent or little talent you have, however wealthy or poor, however, whatever your environment, whatever your background, whatever, however old or young, married or single, it doesn't matter. God says, I created you because I had a purpose for you before I formed thee in the womb. Before. What did he have? He needed a prophet for the nations, Jeremiah. And so before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. I ordained thee to be a prophet to the nations. He looked down and saw the need for a prophet and designed and created Jeremiah. Now, I believe in the free will of man. Don't, do, not, do not get me wrong. We have an opportunity to choose or reject. We understand that, but we must accept the responsibility that now not only the blind man in John 9, but Jesus himself. He's looking at them saying, look, I am literally the light of the world. This man is literally living in darkness. I'm the only one that can cause him to see. I'm his only hope. And I was brought. Can we borrow the, the words from the book of Esther? I was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. I do not believe that Esther was an accident. I don't believe old murdering Saul was an accident. I believe he went his own way. I believe he did his own thing in religious hypocrisy. But finally, God got his attention and got him to where he was, where, to do what he was called. And chosen to do. So here's the message tonight in this I, You're sitting there thinking, you know what? Uh, let the men on the platform, let the ladies, let the teachers, let the workers. They have the responsibility. No, 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 no. Each and every one of us created. that I. Jesus said it. He said it about the blind man. And we could go from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, taking you to text and stories where the hair would stand up on your head and go, wow. The job came first. So there was a job for you to do. Uh, Again, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what what kind of talent you think or or don't have. I mean, it it doesn't matter. There was a job for Moses to do. That's why his parents saw favor in little Moses when he was a baby and put him, he didn't even understand that. My wife and I went to a mission field for the first time right after we got married, except many years ago. And I had never been overseas and you kind of live in this American culture budget, uh, uh, a bubble. And... uh, I remember flying to Africa, and it just rattled my cage because you know the world was so much bigger and so much more needy than ever before that I even thought it was. And 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 eight almost eight billion people alive today. And I remember landing in Africa, and my sister Rachel, we're the closest in age. She had some. Um, we had brought some American food over, and she wanted to fellowship and have some pizza there, kind of in their compound at night, right outside the the dirt walls. I mean, third world country of Tanzania. East Africa, and they wanted to play games and fellowship, but my wife and I could barely do it because we were so shook from what we saw just, just literally 100 feet out the front door of their house. And in the villages around, and, and I won't go into all the stories of poverty and hopelessness and emptiness, and just just how blessed and how rich we are, and and so each night as they wanted to play games, Charity and I were just crying, and we were just talking about you know our, our mindset and and the burden of man, there is somebody that we can reach, and I remember my wife and Jerry started talking, and as they were talking, they began to write phrases down, and and Jerry's like, man, that that could be a song, and and I've never seen anything more anointed just quickly come they just wrote some phrases out and my brother-in-law Jerry's not musical my wife is but he's not and he would write a line and my wife would write a line she would hum something and I got my phone out and the little voice recorder just recorded I still have a recording of them just singing the song I mean moments seconds after uh, they had written it and I can hear them swatting the mosquitoes and we went and recorded it and I want you just to take a little mission trip for a moment tonight can you do that I know it's a little unusual, but can you sit there and either close your eyes or just look straight forward? I'll sit down for about 20 seconds or so. And I want you to take a mission trip. And as we were seeing the people passing up and down the the road in front of us, they were writing these words. But the whole point of all of this is as the choruses end, and we'll just play one, one of the choruses here. It says, and to someone in the world today, their only hope is you. Have you ever flown before? There are millions of pieces of luggage in all of the airways, if you will, in the airports, O'Hare or Atlanta or wherever, Charlotte, wherever you fly out of. I mean, luggage everywhere, but there's one or two with your tag on it. And somewhere out there in the world is somebody with your tag on it. Somebody that the pastor can't reach and Brother Mark can't reach and Maybe the Sunday school teacher can't reach, or nobody else can reach, but they're yours to reach. Just go on a little mission trip and ask God if you are stewarding that I that God brought you into the world for. Just take a little mission trip tonight for just a moment.
1: Their faces look so earnestly Their eyes are pleading longingly Wondering where their next meal will be Just trying to make it day to day As their life so quickly slips away With never a thought of their eternal destiny It's time for us to look beyond ourselves, there's someone you can reach, someone's life that that you you can can touch. touch, how could you give so little, when we've been given so much, someone's future is dependent. And to someone in the world today, their only hope
0: is you. So the question tonight that's convicted... What to a shame me is the to live our whole life long and stand before Am I waiting for God to you know, the, the right time in my life, blaming God. Well, you know, I'll, I'll get busy when I have enough money or I have enough time or, or, or I'm not so busy in the things I've got or am I dying to self each and every day looking for what God has already created me for? What about your specific eye? Are you young people, and I see many young people in the room, are you looking at, you know, far too often we as parents so wrongly say to our children, what, what do you think you want to do when you grow up? That's the most humanistic mindset and pagan mindset that I've ever heard in my life. And I've been guilty of saying it by accident. And thank God for people in my life, friends in my life, to say, hey, Joseph, what, what, what were you talking about? What your children wanted? No, no, what, what do you think God designed them to do? What were they created for? I want to be a fireman when I grow up. I want to be a preacher when I go. I want to be a missionary. It's not for you to decide. What was I designed and created to do? You were designed and created to do something. And I believe with all of my heart that souls will spend an eternity in hell when we live selfishly with our own eye doing what we want to do with it. I'm going to play one more audio clip and move on quickly here. Last audio clip I'll play is a voicemail that my sister uh, Rachel left uh, to our family and I got her permission to play it. And I want you to think about your specific eye and what if Rachel had not answered the call to go with her husband to the country of africa just listen to this voicemail that she sent in and then we'll move on to the second word
2: yesterday we are having this ladies meeting um in a really rough area in our city at our church one of our church members houses and it's an evangelistic ladies meeting and we had about 40 ladies there and a bunch of kids sitting on the mats i was teaching on these women build their house foolish plucketh it down with their hands and right whenever i entered into like the salvation part of it we hear this terrible um like crashing and banging and we were kind of near this main road we we're at this little mud hut it's a really rough neighborhood we were around the corner everybody starts running and screaming and running over there all the women jump up and start running over there and we were like what in the world is going on i thought somebody was shooting some bombs were going off or something so we we're trying to get everybody calmed down and david said i saw a car just flip like completely flip So we get everybody, like half of the women had already gone over there. So we're trying to get everybody to calm down, to come back. So we get our church ladies for sure, you know, came back. And some of the visitor ladies came back and sat down and were like, let's just finish. It was right at the salvation time. We finished and uh, we went over there after we finished. And this car, I think it was running from the police. I never did get the whole story. Supposedly it was drunk or demon possessed or something. And it had gone flying off the road, hit this culvert, crashed into a house, um, like leveled a whole side of the house, then crashed into a tree or flipped and then crashed into a tree and landed on its hood, like completely flipped upside down, landing on its hood. So Jerry's like, let's just get out of here, you know, because stuff like that's when you get, you know, mobs and riots. So we left. Well, um, today, this morning, our church lady who's in that neighborhood said, all the neighbors were like gathering around her saying, your God's got to be some big, amazing God, those white people's God. Because that area um is, and those of those of you guys that have been here know there's always areas in neighborhoods where all the kids gather to play. Like they'll play soccer, you know, just back and forth. Like kids in the states gather at a park. Here they'll there'll be like a level spot under a tree that all the kids always play at every day. And that area where the car had like ended up, he crashed the house, nobody was at home, so they were fine. Um, But that exact area under that tree is where all the kids play. And that's why all the women, all the moms started running and screaming over there because they knew that's the area like the neighborhood kid gathering area. But no kids were there because guess where all the kids were? All 65 of them. Well, we had 65 sitting on the mats at our ladies' meeting. So there was not one kid at the kid area right where that car came flying through. Yesterday, we were having this ladies' Like that, meeting.
0: you may not have a story like that, but there is a story out there that it may take eternity for you to look back on and realize that God did create you. I mean, an ark needed a Noah. Nineveh needed a Jonah. Jesus needed a Mary. You say, oh, he doesn't need anything. Oh, really? Just look at the story of the donkey that carried Jesus in on Palm Sunday, if you will. Remember, he said, tell him the Lord hath what of him? Need of him. I believe that that little donkey was created because the job was already there. The second word that I want you to see here tonight is the word must. The word must. Notice that in John chapter 9 and verse number 4, Jesus said, I must. The importance of the word must. It looks casual at its, at, at its surface, but wait a minute. When you study it deeper, you see that must is not I should. It's not I can. It's not I will or I decided to. It's not I get to or I'm up for it. No, must is a moral, physical necessity. It is a have to. It could be illustrated like this many times throughout the scripture, but let me illustrate it just practically here. My son uh, Aaron's 13, my son Andrew's uh, five or six, and and we have two little boys. And imagine me coming home and after work and sitting, sitting down in the living room in the air conditioned one summer day. And I'm a little relaxed and just uh, enjoying relaxing there. And Aaron comes walking in and says, hey, look, uh, Andrew's outside and he wants to go fishing. Would you take me and uh, Andrew fishing? And I could say, you know, as a father, I should. How many of you agree? I should. I ought to do that. Hey, it's a good idea. It's something I ought to do. As a dad, that's my role. I ought to do it. I need to get up and do that. Now, stay with me. This is what Jesus is trying to teach against, trying to show that we're to live with a must, not a decision. I decided to, I'll get up and do that. And so so I get up and do that. I think, you know what, I'm being a good dad, but let's change the scenario just slightly. And this is what he's trying to teach in the scriptures. Let's change the scenario now. And I get home and I sit down and I'm relaxing. I'm in the air conditioning and and just just ready to, to put my feet up for a little while. And Aaron comes running into the room red in the face, I, I, veins bulging out. And he says, dad, dad, we were down at the pond and, and Andrew, he wasn't supposed to, but he, he got out on the edge of the canoe and, and, and he tipped over and he went under the water, all the way under the water, Aaron? Yes, all the way under the water. Uh, what did you do? He said, I, I tried to get down in there, but the water, you know, it's dark and murky there in the pond. And, and, I, and I saw him for a minute, but I can't feel him. And how long? Several minutes I tried, dad. I, I don't know where he's at. He's under the water somewhere. In that moment, I don't have a decision. And the problem is we as Christians come into Woodland Baptist Church or Marion Avenue Baptist Church and I'm pointing towards me and we sit here and we hear a message and we think, you know, am I going to decide? Is it a good idea? You know, I do have the Christian title. You know, the the message on Sunday night, the beginnings and the blessings and the boundaries. And we think, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No, that song said, I have decided. I decided that there was a must, a moral, physical spiritual. spiritual. I mean, just even a common sense necessity. And what Jesus is saying is the world is in darkness. I mean, are we so callous when we turn on the news and see what Satan is doing? not just in the Middle East, but probably a mile from this church and around the world. I mean, families and homes and the drug world and the suicide world. And and I mean, we can curse the darkness all day long, but what God is trying to get us to do is realize we have a must. I remember one of the greatest messages I heard. I don't remember the whole message, but just one little phrase in the message. And it was a pastor's son. He was older now. And he said, I serve God because I have to. And some people would, you know, take that back. Like what do you mean you have to? In other words, it was Paul put it this way, he says, uh, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He said, Necessity is laid upon me. I'm laying it upon you tonight. You can treat Christianity like a decision. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Where were those tracks, Brother Mark? Oh, y'all go so winning here? Look, whether you go on organized soul winning or not or or sign up for some kind of program or not is really not the big deal. The big deal is that you live with the must each and every day, seven days a week, realizing that you have an eye. God created you for something that already existed and it's not your decision. I'm not interested in teenagers making a decision. I'm not interested in my son saying, okay, dad, I'll serve the Lord. I'll obey you. You know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in the powerful word of God being laid upon him that says, I have no choice. That's when... Christianity becomes real, because now you start speaking like th- those great, great uh, servants in the Bible, those, those great men of God and women of God in the Bible, when they said, I'm a bond slave, I'm a bond servant, I mean, necessity is laid upon me, and, and you start speaking like Jesus says, I must, I must. He didn't say, oh, let me see here, yeah, meeny, meeny, money mo." let me see, if I, uh, disciples, check the book and see, how long has it been since I healed a blind man? This man is living in darkness. And, 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 and look, I, 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 as I come here, I'm reminded again of, of my roots and I love North Carolina, but I'm telling you folks, if I can be so uh, frank with you tonight, you live in a bubble here of Christianity. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been taking pictures. I'm shocked. Everyone, I took the boys to get haircuts today and there's John and Romans and church tracks. I mean, people holding sign, everywhere I go, holding sign, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But let me tell you something, outside of this little bubble, people haven't heard about Jesus Christ. And inside this bubble, there's a lot of people that believe in the bobblehead Jesus. You know, just kind of uh, this this nice little sweet southern Jesus. Oh, yeah, I got saved. But they really need Jesus. And it's not your decision uh, whether you're just going to play church and sit around uh, in the structure or religiosity of church. But if you're going to wake up tonight and say, and I'm preaching to myself to say, I have no decision to raise my children for the Lord. There's no decision. I have to. I live in 2023. God had me born for such a time as this. We have to live for God as a young people. I, 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 there's no, de- you just say, have you decided to go to church three times a week? There's no decision to be made. The must was placed upon me. The preaching, the reading, the study of God's word was, it was laid upon me and it, it is a yoke I bear. But wait a minute, it's an easy yoke compared to those who don't bear it. The way of the transgressor's hard. And so tonight, may we as Christians feel the weight. May we feel what uh, the apostle Paul is trying to say, uh, what Jesus is trying to say. It is a necessity. Not I should, that's a conviction. Not I can, that's an ability. Not I will, that's a choice. Not I decided to, that's a decision. Not I get to, that's a desire. Not Not I'm up for it, that's an option. A must is laid upon your eye tonight, and you've just got to. Look, church, you've got to go forward for the Lord. You have to. You've got to focus on the mission of the Woodland Baptist Church. What do you exist for? It's I look, I'm all we have class breakfast in our first love young couples fellowship, and it's amazing, and we love the fellowship and we love our class. But wait a minute. If we are just a little class to eat donuts on Sunday morning, we have missed our must. And far too many churches have missed their must and that's why churches sit down and begin acting uh, laterally here uh, just amongst themselves instead of charging hell and charging the world with light and hope and faithfulness and the gospel and living for God with our lives. Hey, let me tell you something. When you lose your must, little things become big things. Because why? You're living in your little world instead of saying, you know what? This is not my life. God created me for something, and it's not my decision. There is a mentality, and I'm going to go quickly here. I want you to follow this. There is a mentality amongst Christianity. It's a stereotype, and I've seen it everywhere across this country. I've talked to a lot of people my age, in the millennial generation, and we began to compile and write down the stereotypes or the mentalities when it comes to what I would call, and you might have heard this term, first-generation Christianity and second generation or third, fourth, my wife is a seventh generation, sixth, and my children on my wife's side is seventh generation Christian. Now I understand everybody has to come to know Christ, but I'm talking about their parents were saved and then their grandparents and great grandparents. Everybody understand what I'm talking about and the mentalities. And churches will take on, follow carefully at seasons, And sometimes for long seasons or sometimes just the culture of the church becomes either a a first generation church mentality or what what is called a second generation church mentality. For instance, and I we really have worked on this and prayed about this in our church to really change the culture or build the culture into being a first generation responsible, I must generation. uh, Because we would look at our Spanish church and most of them were first-generation Christians, man. I mean, they came over from Mexico, they were working the fields, at least in our context in Iowa, and, and they got saved, they heard the gospel, they grew up in Catholicism, they got saved, and their world was on fire. They'd never heard of Christianity. And far too often, because our church had been there 50 years, we would go through seasons where it was, you know, the teenagers and the old people and everybody in between, oh, it's what we've always had and what we've always done. Let me read just a few of these and show that the must is missing. Carefully listen, first generation Christian mentality or first generation Christians, those that were saved later on in life or maybe as a teenager or older, they see Jesus as preeminent. Second generation or beyond Christians, they see him as important. And it's my fear in the the, the buckle of the Bible belt. And by the way, in Washington, Iowa, the same way that Jesus is important. Jesus is king. He's important instead of he's preeminent. First generation Christians see Bible truths and promises as shocking, new, exciting, and transformative. Second generation Christians see them as good, normal, routine, and oftentimes just religious. First generation Christians are burdened for the lost. Why? Because they were completely lost and they still have family that was lost. And they know so many lost, second generation Christians are burdened by the lost. Like when I went to driver's ed, I was homeschooled. I went to public school for driver's ed and I sat, uh, alphabetically, I sat beside a beautiful, I was a 16 year old boy, beautiful 16 year old girl. And they paired us up to, to, to go with the instructor riding, instructor riding in the car with three or four other teenagers. And I remember sitting in that car so excited because she was this pretty girl. And, and I thought, man, I'm gonna get up the nerve to talk to her. And then as a pastor's kid, Hearing preaching from God's word, Brother Mark, I got burdened because I'm like, man, I got a witness to her. I was burdened by her and not for her. I got a question. Is Woodland Baptist Church burdened by the lost out there or burdened for the lost? Burdened by the lost will do just what we can in missions. Burdened by the lost will be more focused inward. Burdened for the lost, we're focused outward. Let me give you a few more as the time clicks on here. First generation Christians saw what they escaped. Second generation Christians often wonder what they missed. In young people, first generation Christians tried their faith. Faith without works is dead. I'm talking about uh, beginning to serve and try it. And they gave up so much, if you will, uh, and, and saw that Jesus added so much. Second generations often they theory their faith. First generation Christians hunger for more. Second generation Christians are weaned with just enough to get comfortably by. Parents just give them just enough to fit in good at the Christian school or fit in good with the church. But we're not focused on raising true disciples of Jesus Christ. First generation Christians can't wait for what's ahead, even if they've been saved for 50 years. Aunt Joan, amen? Second generation Christian mentality far too often are only looking at what's behind. And there's no must in the behind. Well, we used to. I remember when. shot up. Because there's no must in the past. I had a guy come to prayer meeting one time, Brother Mark, and I said, man, where have you been all these years? He said, you know, preacher, he said, I used to come to these things, but everybody stopped coming and, you know, in the heyday. So I, you know, I got discouraged since everybody stopped coming. So I stopped coming. And I said, wait a minute. You're the reason, you are the stopped coming. You're a part of the problem. You're looking at the past or what, what has been instead of the must of what will be. You say, but I'm old and I've been here a million years. And I'm, hey, God's created you for a purpose. If you get your must back, if you get that fire back and it simply comes by surrendering, it isn't a decision, it's a yes. Okay, God, yes, I will serve you. First generation Christians, relive major defining moments in life when everything changed. Second generation Christians feel empty without major life defining moments in their own life. Far too often in a church like ours that's been there 50 years, we've seen it all, done it all, and it kind of becomes dull if you're not careful. Man, I'll get around a church plant, Brother Mark, and I'm like, I want to get my, all the staff here. I want to take people here. Why? Because it's kind of like in COVID. Your world kind of gets turned upside down. You realize you actually got to go do something to reach the lost. First-generation Christians, first love is a new love. Second-generation Christian mentality often is a first love that's recycled. It's kind of chewed up and spit out. and chewed. I mean, the songs, we sing the songs. I've heard them a million times. And yet, and somebody come in from the mission and tears dripping off their face. Man, he, he set me free. He set me free. It's become more performance to us, if you will. Look, I'm preaching to myself. I sing, I lead choir, all that. I, I've, I've led the song, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And, and God will convict me and say, there's no must. There's no must. Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Do you live with a must? He said, I. He was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. He was brought to the earth. Why? To go to the cross. And so were you. You were brought for a purpose. A must is placed upon you. You don't get to decide. Neither do I. Woodland Baptist Church has to go forward. There's no choice. And by the way, if you take the choice, you pay the price. And then third, and we'll be done, I'll just hit on this quickly, is the word work. You will do somebody's work in this life. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Work has become a dirty four-letter word in our culture. Now hiring signs everywhere. But far too often the pendulum in Christianity swung from back 40, 50 years ago. Now follow carefully. I'm looking at the past to drive to the future where people would work hard. Then we got comfortable and we said, Well, we don't want to burn out. And look, it's going to take work for the Woodland Baptist Church to keep reaching the lost and dying world. It's just going to take old fashioned work. I close with this story. Up in Lake Michigan, there was a hundred years ago or so, there was a shipwreck, and there was a man who was on his way to becoming an Olympic swimmer that was there. Uh, on the seashore and began to save people and they would holler at him and say, look, you're going to drown. You can't do this. You've already saved two. And he went out and saved three and four and it got dark and he was saving what they were hanging on boards and hanging on whatever they could because of the shipwreck. And he just kept swimming and getting them and bringing them in and getting them and bringing them in and getting them bringing them in. And, and they were screaming and hollering at him because they thought he was going to die, even though he was a, an incredible swimmer. They said, you cannot do this. Your body will give out. And finally, on the last person, he collapsed on the seashore and they had ambulances there and people. There and they they began to load him up and rush him off, and he was completely out. But for just a moment, he aroused back up, and he woke up, and he just said this one statement that the great hymn, the song, was written because of the statement. He looked around frantically. He said, "Have I done my best? Have I have I done my best?" And somebody, the the story goes on much deeper and longer. But a, a musician, a a a. a, 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 a Somebody got the, the, those words, have I done my best? And they wrote the words, have I done my best for Jesus who died upon the cruel tree? To think of his great sacrifice at Calvary. I know my Lord expects the best of me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? Have you done your best in marriage? Look, you don't have to be like somebody else or better than somebody. God's just called you to live with that I and with that must. Are you doing your best with your children? Or are you letting Hollywood do the best with them? It drives me nuts. You, you turn on Facebook and all the video, and you got all these influencers and people that are going crazy, doing crazy things. Visioning and pushing and 10Xing. And yet, oftentimes Christians, oh, feed me. Have you done your best as an individual Christian to bring glory and honor to God, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Woodland Baptist Church, have you done your best? Have you done your best? With their heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, did God speak to your heart?